Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics Podcast for the Savage Critics website. Just in time for the start of summer, it's episode 89, with Graham McMillan and I finally finishing off questions posed by you over a month ago, but not without some technical glitches first. Yes, this episode starts off in media tech snafu, with me answering a question posed by Graham before Skype goes kaput and kills our first five minutes stone-cold dead. Fortunately for everyone, it's an answer that makes sense without the question, as opposed to most of the time with us when that is never really the case. And then we proceed to talk Action Comics number 10, Superhero Movies in the Geek Comfort Zone, Spawn and Glamour Post number 25, Minutemen number 1, and an impassioned discussion over Heather Armstrong, Internet Communication and Freelancer Responsibility, Double Barrel number 1, The Best Reviewed Comic in the World, James Elroy in Comics, Zombo, Sonic Disruptors, American Flag, Zenith, Detective Comics, and much more. Plus, exciting news for Wait What and a request, at least one, for listener assistance from you, all in less than two hours. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. It working? Overall, I'd have to say that I think the overall quality of the DC Universe has gone up for the most part, <laughs> but I would say, strangely, there aren't really the heights and peaks that they had pre-reboot. Well done. You just went straight back into it. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't going to let this throw us, goddammit. Listeners, I just want to point out that you probably won't get this, but what actually happened was uh, Skype cut out after updating for Jeff, and I asked that question 20 minutes ago. <laughs> Second question! I'm, yes. I'm going to keep going. Uh, which property improved the most from rebooting, and which suffered the most? Uh, which improved the most from rebooting, which suffered the most. I'm going to go on a limb and say that uh, Flash improved the most from rebooting. Uh, and at this point, um, or, well, I mean, or clearly something like Action Comics, I guess. <clears throat> and Superman, the title, appears to have suffered the worst from the reboot. And I'm just not not necessarily going by sales or anything, uh, but merely just in the fact that I'm not sure that whoever was reading Superman before really is reading Superman now for anything yeah, other than I'm that. really curious who reads Superman now, to be honest with you, because it's, mm-hmm. it's a title that just seems to be like, what are we going to do? And then you see, like, have you read this week's Action Comics? Uh, yes, I did read Action Comics. Like, the, the plot in that is completely ruined by the fact that it's set in the past and Superman is set in the present. And so the, the big reveal has already been undone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, which is a shame because I think action is great this week. Yeah, action was really great. Although, you know, maybe it's just me, but I sort of feel that with the past present thing, part of me is sort of uh, it it lends that sort of Silver Age credence to the whole concept. I mean, complete when when Morrison goes for the Superman's new secret identity. Yeah, which I like, loved. I really yeah. love that. Yeah. So there's there's for me anyway, there's a certain sense of. Uh, I don't care, you know. Um, also, I, I don't know. I mean, I really think that uh, sadly, I'm still so this issue, even for whatever reason, even more than others. I enjoyed the Clark and Jimmy and Lois interaction <laughs> where they're just hanging out on the apart at his apartment, flipping through stuff on like the lunch break or whatever. It just somehow seemed um, just just tremendously enjoyable. Like, yeah, I, 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 I loved it. I loved that Jimmy didn't like couldn't get his head around Lana Lang 
Mm-hmm. And the idea mm-hmm. that something had gone wrong for Clark after that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I love that. I think that's that's a really nice take on Clark's lovable loser. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's it's not. It's it is sort of a. You could never date someone like this now. Right. What's gone wrong? Which is so much. I don't know. Cleaner in a way than going and they tripped over some. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I just, I really, really love that scene. And I love that they can play up the Lois is not on board with Clark, but also not a bitch. Does that make sense? Yes. Like, yeah, I love no, that no, you no, can no. see that she's Definitely. just cool towards him. Mm-hmm. But it's not because she's mean or, or anything like that. She just doesn't really like him. But she yeah, doesn't dislike him either. Interested. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so there's kind of that interaction. It's a little bit of the, yeah, you interact with the person at work. And, uh, you and you're, yeah, you're kind of like, you know, well, Jimmy likes him and I'm hanging out with Jimmy and he's here. So I'll put up exactly. with him. Exactly. Exactly. Which is somehow just such a, it's such a great, it's such a great inversion of what the whole Clark, Lois, Jimmy dynamic ended up being. And but makes a million times more sense. Yes, for yeah, what it's, you want it's the dynamic to be. It's really great that and the Justice League scene. I adore Justice League scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Justice League scene was great, and I just love it. The Superman is kind of like he's like a teenager who's pissed after talking yeah. to his parents. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, call me when another alien invades. It's so great. It's such a great scene. Yeah, I enjoyed that tremendously. There was, um, it almost, oh God, it it really did for me have that feeling of like Grant Morrison had flipped through like the first so many issues of Justice League and was kind of like, I can do this better than this. Like, exactly. I'll prove it in two pages. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The best part is like he completely keys off what John is doing like none of it contradicts but it just mm-hmm. all has so much more depth there's so much yeah. more character in those two pages than in six issues of Justice League well or I guess just for lack of a better word snap you know what I mean like it's just got a little bit of you know John's stuff just really is even when it's funny it's funny in a very leaden way at least the issues that I read so you know it's a little ponderous and this one's just got so much pep um, yeah, and and it's it's in, like it's even in the like one exchange between Green Lantern and Batman mm-hmm. is so much sharper. Yeah, than than what we've seen in Justice League. Yeah, I just I thought it was a really really good issue of action. Getting back to what you were saying though, yeah, yes, I agree. I think the Superman is, as a title has been completely cut adrift in the New Fifty Two. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that even something that you look at like Teen Titans, we were like, that's a terrible book. It at least has a direction. Yes. And you feel that Superman doesn't. You feel that Superman is literally the other Superman book that isn't Grant Morrison's, and we don't know what to do with it. Yeah, exactly. Like, we can't, we can't really get rid of it. I mean, even Teen Titans, at least, yeah. It opened controversially enough, you know? It's, well, no, wait. No, I'm thinking of Red Hood and the Outsiders. I think a lot of people sort of was like Teen Titans. Initially, a lot of people did kind of liked it, didn't they? I don't know. I'm trying to remember what was the Scott. I guess it was. Super, I know that was the lot. Yeah, Super, Super that, White, yeah, Superboy's the one. Everyone's like, "That's actually good." What? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't know, but yeah, I think Superman is is the one that's that's not that's suffered the most. I think you're entirely right. Third question: yeah. Why do you think? Oh. That, no, he's he's in, not funny. He is interge- not. Finished. No, no, interjecting though. 
because I at least I'm going to want to know before I try and edit these out. Are you killing grasshoppers? Are you shelling snap peas? Like, what exactly is popping, snapping, and occasionally thumping there in the background, Graham? Absolutely nothing here. Really? Yeah, nothing I, I at all. I keep hearing a, a like, kind of... You know, sort of thing. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll hear my friend. Sorry. <laughs> Great. Skype has driven me crazy. <laughs> How exciting. Third question. We're going. Uh, yes. Why do you think... Oh, what? Let me read it. Why don't... Well, I'm going to read it. Oh, you, you read it. Okay, then. Yes. Why do you think it is that comic fans get so angry and spiteful whenever a critic dares to say so he doesn't like a superhero movie? Why do they take it so personally and get so vengeful? On Rotten Tomatoes, every critic who entered a negative review, uh, people are commenting and attacking them like they insulted their mothers. Because they're not taking it as, I don't like this movie. They're taking it as, I don't like your culture. Because it's incredibly defensive. Uh, On the the flip side, a lot of the times you will get reviews that don't like the movies and pretty much are along the lines of, well, what do you expect from a superhero movie? Superheroes are dumb. Right. There have been a lot of reviews like that. Or a lot of reviews for Avengers, which on the flip side were like, this is a snappy, peppy movie. You wouldn't have thought it from a comic book movie. Um, but yeah, it's, it's defensiveness. It's totally defensiveness. It, and, yeah. But it's not just about movies. I mean, I, I was going to say look at Before Watchmen, but that's an incredibly loaded subject. Look at someone who <laughs> it doesn't No, but look at someone who gave like uh, Avengers versus X-Men a bad review. Mm-hmm. You will get mm-hmm. people doing the same thing there. Mm-hmm. It's it's just you are threatening my comfort zone by expressing dislike of this thing that I've decided is okay. Right. I don't know what to do about that, so I will be angry at you for making me feel uncertain. Right. Well, or yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, at the subconscious level, they're not. I mean, like consciously, they can't even acknowledge the fact that they've been made. Oh, yeah, yeah, they don't know. They're just like, I don't know what I'm feeling. What am I feeling? I don't know what I'm feeling. Shut up! Right, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, good call. All right, Mike Laughlin asks, if Todd McFarlane called you up and said he needed a new writer for Spawn and would pay you the equivalent of one Mark McGuire ball, what would your pitch be, Graham? I have absolutely no knowledge of Spawn to do that. I, I on mm-hmm. like I have not read I've read maybe five issues of Spawn in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um I I couldn't even vaguely answer that. My pitch would be, hey, why don't you let me read up on it and give you a call back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, re- I really I wouldn't I honestly could not give you anything right now. I think right. I, but I think I could say something along the lines of I would really want to take it away from all the stuff they've done before in terms of like, it's an epic heaven versus hell story. I mean, I know that's part of the mythology, but that feels really played out to me. Well, see, this is the problem for me is also I haven't I haven't read enough issues. The thing that kills me about McFarlane is if you look at his work, there is a guy who so clearly was a huge fan of among other things, Jim Starlin and the Jim Starlin cosmic ethos story. Like I, when I read the first six or seven issues of Spawn, it really is like, you know, what if a guy who had like significant amounts of brain damage had read Jim Starlin's Warlock? You know what I mean? There's kind of that thing of like he's 
the hero, but you're aware that he's the anti-hero, but things are darker and larger and grimmer and just sort of a large cosmic sense of things. But for whatever reason, McFarlane, again, is is such a leaden storyteller. I, I So, yeah, I'm sort of the same way. When I've worked at Comics Experience, I would try and read Spawn, and this was during this time when it seemed like it was coming out every four months, so it wasn't like I could really remember what was going on for, for you know, time after time after time but what i would love to do is figure out a way to re- re- sort of reboot the mythos reset the stakes up and um kind of bring everything back that that was interesting about spawn and that god knows that sounds like somewhat oxymoronic you know cuz to me that i i find the thing that's really sad to me about spawn is like once you take away the Starlin stuff, the big cosmic stuff, basically all you have is A, the kind of the romantic triangle, evil corporation angle, and B, lots and lots of shit about serial killers. You know what I mean? And in a way that seems a little bit untoward. Like every time you pick <laughs> A up, little bit creepy. Yeah, you know, like I'm as much a fan. I, you know, I grew up in the '70s and in the '80s, so yeah, I've got like serial killer trading cards and things like that that seem like you know a little skeevy. Todd McFarlane takes it way, way, way too far. Like he can just not wait to show you know a corpulent drooling dude in something, either a, you know an ice cream truck, an errand chair, you know. A video game uh, sit-down council of Discs of Tron getting ready to serial killize and or molesterize some poor innocent person who kind of looks like a, a, a special needs kid drawn by the Keens. Yeah, you know? it, so, it, yeah, it will be like a three-year-old girl. Yeah, inevitably in yeah. a pink dress. Yes, uh, who will be who will have like pigtails and big eyes and will always be looking up at the camera. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. So, there, there, mean, there really is a weird fetishization of all of all of that. <laughs> like not, yes, exactly. not just not just the serial killers, but the victims as well. Like it's really yeah. creepy. Yeah, it really is. And so there's a way in which you know, hey, I just picked up Glamour Puss issue twenty five and had my mind talking about creepy. <laughs> oh my god, did you read it, Graham? No, I, I I'm not good to be reading that. I'm sorry, I. Yeah. I I've heard enough, especially like from your, oh my God, I just read this issue thing that I, I don't think it's going to be something I'm going to be going towards unless he does another like phone book collection. I can sit down with it and I wonder. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be really interesting. I'll, I'll bring some issues up to show you because there's storytelling. He's got an amazing sequence, you know, the, the ongoing Alex Raymond sequence uh, where he has Stan Drake lying in a hospital bed, staring up at a ceiling with his arm in a cast. And he does some phenomenal shit with that. Like, shit that just, it blows my mind. He actually zooms in on Stan Drake's face to the point where the crosshatching on the side of Drake's nose becomes the landscape uh, behind the car that's about to have the accident like he it's a slow zoom in fade transition thing that's like right out of like some sort of movie from the 40s except done a in comic format and b in a way that is it's just resoundingly brilliant um and yet not only is the first half of the book uh 
sort of creepy and un- unpalatable. But in the end, where Sim and whoever the sock puppet is that he's talking to uh, about the mystical things that you know that the that how Alex Raymond was was killed by the powers of femininity run amok or feminism run amok. It's um, it really is just it's 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 disturbing. Does, it really does is. he actually try to make that argument? Uh, let me see if I can find the appropriate quote here. Um, so he, he he spends a lot of time talking about the Margaret Mitchell glamour, you know, which is G L A M O U R. And one of the things that's really sad is the whole way that this this uh, text piece starts off is they talk about how Margaret Mitchell, at the tender of age eighteen, met and fell in love with a young army officer named Lieutenant Clifford Henry West. Um, Apparently, the two met at one of the dances arranged by the girls' school for the officers, and it's been said that part of the attraction she had towards him was his ability to write poetry. Their love affair was to prove short-lived. A few months later, Lieutenant West was sent overseas to France to fight in World War One, and he died on September 13th, 1918. So this is kind of an interesting little background, I think. Um, and, of course, the thing that's amazing is because this guy had been stationed at Camp Gordon and... You know, um, Sim has repeatedly talked about, you know, how Alex Raymond's accident was literally he was gored on a steering wheel and therefore somehow knew had precognitions of his own accident. So that's that's like that's so that's beyond crazy paranoia to me. Do you know what I mean? It's like if I I if I describe his death in a very particular verbiage. Mm-hmm. Then it explains that he knew it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like you could make anything in the world suddenly like predestination if you want to work by those rules. Yeah. Oh, actually. So and then and yeah, exactly. So the thing that then gets goes on to get disturbing. I mean, because I find that fascinating. The idea that you know they say that having been stationed at Camp Gordon in the context of the glamorous narrative, I guess it can be said that he too was gored on the 20th century flash, in his case, the First World War. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, like I find that shit awesome. Now, and I have to admit, I am the sort of guy that when you see those crazy posts, like stapled to telephone poles that are usually written by guys who are schizophrenic, I always have to read those. So, of course, I find this thing amazing. But the thing that's sad is how the next person that Margaret Mitchell ends up... Um, uh, her first husband, Red Upshaw, who was apparently a debauched, violent, alcoholic bootlegger, Sim goes on to this huge thing about how this woman does a great uh, by by basically by marrying this guy who is apparently a jerk. She does a grave disservice to the memory of a genuine hero who has paid the ultimate price. And that's this is the part where what? the book basically yes it goes on by for getting a long married time. to someone after someone else had died. Yes, missing on America. Yeah, so I it is I find a conundrum implicit within the gender: the ferocious need to give vent no matter what the cost, emotions uberales, which was relatively new in Mitchell's day, and I think attributable in part to her magnum opus, ubiquitous in our own. I can't help myself, but you must. Yes, you're in emotional pain, but it isn't about you. 
There are things that are much larger and much more important than how a woman feels, no matter how badly she feels or who the woman is, living up to and honoring the memory of a war hero being a good example. So... Oh, go fuck yourself, Daves. Yeah, so it's a shame, because let me tell you, the rest of the stuff was brilliant in this kind of, in like, to me, absolutely um, entrancing level of... Imagine the guy who writes that stuff on the telephone poles being one of the better comic storytellers of all time. And up until now has been kind of dancing around his old misogyny. But this, unfortunately, really was the issue where the, the mask slipped off, you know, as a real Mr. Quimper moment. And I, oh, I was deeply, deeply disturbed. Well, that sounds absolutely horrible. <laughs> All right, I'm so glad that um, we have got to that. I feel like I should now talk about reading before Watchmen. But uh, <laughs> Ooh, yeah, go for it. Yes. Um, so I don't know if you saw the MTV uh, call, but I, obviously it was like one of the best examples of comic storytelling or some incredibly hyperbole. Yeah. Um, it's not. <laughs> uh, but here's the other thing. Before Watchmen came out yesterday and we're all still alive. Not Every- all of us, Graham. Not all of us. That's true. Some Ray of us Bradbury, are dead. Oh my god! As Matt Turrell pointed out, <laughs> poor God, Watchmen killed Ray Bradbury. Yeah, um, and Robert Washington. That really bummed me out. Robert Washington's death really, really upset me yesterday. Oh yeah, that was really crazy. I mean, that was so sad. He was forty-seven. 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 That's and also yeah, it was. Oh god, it was just tragic. Anyway, mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. point is, it's a comic. It's a. Uh, perfectly fine nicely illustrated first chapter to the story that is very slow it is mm-hmm. a stunningly slow introduction slash reintroduction to the characters right that is done fine for what it is mm-hmm. but i can't believe any i can't believe any review is doing anything more than saying well that existed it was pretty right um it's definitely not got the you know, starting with a bang like New Frontier did. Right. Uh, See, this is the thing that's hilarious because you wouldn't actually even... I mean, in theory, if it was successful, you wouldn't enjoy it that much anyway, right, Graham? I mean, I, I don't mean that well, in no, any no, sort of bad but, way. No but... no, but here's the thing. If it was successful, then it would make me care about the characters. Do you know what I mean? Like, but... if it was a good comic, then I'd be like, this is great. I didn't care yeah. about these characters before, and now I do. But, but I, Watchmen was a good comic, and you didn't care for it much. Sure, but that's what I'm saying by if successful. If it was successful for me, I would care. Oh, okay, successful for you. Okay, I, that's what I'm trying to say, though. It's kind of like, whoa, 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 let's slow it up. Either that or let me trick you into admitting that you don't think that Watchmen's a good comic, which would make a perfect headline. So. <laughs> I don't like Watchmen. I think that that's, that's on the record. Mm-hmm. I th- I, oh, it's I, very right. I recognize what it does really well but it's totally not to my taste and i think right. that cook is more to my taste but mm-hmm. based on this like it's it's honestly like a it's a really pretty comic and he has some nice tricks but it's honestly if this is one of the better of them mm-hmm. then yeah, people you are can in see, trouble you can, yeah. yeah you can see why they're putting all 30 out at one time running concurrently <laughs> because Otherwise, they'd be like, here's the best one. And by then, people would be like, so you're doing another six of these. Huh. Right. <laughs> right. No, 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 no. I totally think that's what's going to happen. I, I think that by the time that uh, Rorschach comes out, I think people are going to be completely over it. 
Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's it's fine. It's it's not the end of comics as we know it, and it's definitely not. This is the greatest comic I've seen. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a comic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, uh, I I will. I, I, it certainly does seem to be a comic. Uh, it was interesting to me how the first two pages, which I read as a free preview at, at Bleeding Cool, had a very complex reaction, for me anyway, of like, hmm. One of the things that I think is really hard, I realized just looking at it, all the other reasons aside of why I think that this is wrong. Um, before Watchmen is a has so many storytelling tricks and tropes that the industry has absorbed and moved on from in some ways, you know, that to essentially redo them in a way that emphasizes Moore's work, uh, Moore and Gibbons's work, I should say, it feels oddly... I don't know, like anachronistic or dull. Like I just really was. I was like, well, this is kind of uninteresting, you know, just flipping through the first two pages. And and I'm like, well, yeah, of course, because it's that same thing. Like recently, um, thanks to the miracle of comiXology and a sale a couple of weeks back, I've been rereading through a big old chunk of, of Alan Moore's Swamp Thing issues. And what I find fascinating is as much as I still adore parts of them, the storytelling has gotten old. Like what was oh, God, innovative totally. then, yeah, is a little stale and a bit musty. And and the same, is, be... the same is definitely true of Watchmen, though. If you come mm-hmm. to Watchmen pulled now and you've read modern superhero comics, a mm-hmm. lot of it you're going to be like, I don't get what is so big about this. Yeah, it's you might be right. Although having reread, when I reread Watchmen, I think, I want to say a few months before or a few months after the movie, I kind of, it still manages to escape that for the most part somehow. But yeah, you're right. Everything, like everything has been leached from its bones, really. And and there are parts that just sort of the same way that Stanley was innovative for his time and now is just sort of goofy a little bit now. There's a little bit without, with Watchmen where it's like, yeah, it can only age so well. And when other people start doing it, it, it feels it feels awkward. You know, so I don't know. It'd be interesting to see where the other books go, and I say see like I'm actually going to be looking at them. But if there's free previews, I might. Oh, the, the, there will be free previews. I'm of sure you'll find. Here's the thing: the um, the opening two pages of Before Watchmen mm-hmm. have are that type of storytelling. The like here's a repeated, you know, here's a repeated. Right. Uh, I was going to say geodesic image. I have no idea what I'm saying. Geometric? Um, I mean, geometric, 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 geometric is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and that's nowhere else in the book. Yeah. Oh, really? Because yeah. I, I, I really did sort of, like, I thought it was clumsy, but by the end there where he's holding up the the picture and the, the, and the, the clock, clock image. Yeah. yeah, image completes, I was kind of like, that's, I, I was like, on the one hand, that's incredibly clever, and the formalist in me is very excited. On the other hand, there was part of me where all of it just kind of seemed kind of painfully obvious in a way. So he 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 pretty much skips that for the rest of the book. Wow, interesting. Huh. He switches his storytelling fairly dramatically, um, and I'm not sure it's to the book's benefit. <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you, uh, it, it, but yeah, it's here's the other thing. 
there is nothing in Before Watchmen mm-hmm. that you could not have done with other characters. Right. Not one thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I don't know. I, it's it, it's strongly reminiscent of New Frontier to me, mm-hmm. uh, in part because it's a similar, you know, trip down a particular nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's not as strong at all. Right. Um, so I'm curious to see where it goes. Mm-hmm. But the first issue was definitely a disappointment. Well, and I, I, went, I went in with the, I am already bored to fucking death of this. <laughs> like, I went in with no expectations. Right. And I still came away disappointed. Right. So... Yeah, it, it, it wasn't that it seemed like bad Alan Moore and bad Dave Gibbons. It seemed like a weak Darwin Cook, which was the mm-hmm. real problem. Right, right. Well, and uh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely can see that uh, being being a problem uh, for you. Uh, I, I don't know. It's it's it, it's interesting. I'm I'm fascinated to see where things are going to go from here because because I do think that there's been such a weird level of meh. Part of me is like, ugh, I just hope retailers don't lose their fucking shirts. Although part oh, I, of me is like, you know. I, yeah, I want it to completely fail. Yeah, exactly. I somehow want it to completely fail without necessarily dragging anyone down with it. Well, I think I think it's going to be a failure. I don't think mm-hmm. it's going to be a massive failure. I don't think it's going to tank. But I think it's definitely mm-hmm. going to underperform from what everyone thought. And I really think the order is going to be significantly cut back. Yeah. Based yeah. upon... I mean, if the next couple of issues, because Silk Spectre is apparently the book. Silk Spectre is apparently the one that everyone should read. And if that doesn't sell well, because apparently uh, Minutemen is not selling well. Yeah, well, that's the thing that kind of struck me was I was in the comic shop picking it up yesterday. Uh, Hibbs wasn't around. He's out of town. But, you know, there was a pretty big stack of of them. And... They were not moving. There was like one guy who was kind of interested in sort of poking at it with kind of a weird look on his face. But yeah, I they are not immediate movers. I don't know. Maybe that'll turn around. Like maybe it's the thing that because before Watchmen is a project where they're aiming for lapsed viewers, uh, readers in a way, um, you're going to see or people who just saw the movie or whatever, you're going to see a lot more action on the first weekend, say, as opposed to you know, the Wednesday, Thursday crowd, but yeah, I, the other thing I'm going to be really curious about is if it does end up underperforming, mm-hmm. I'd love to see some sort of postmortem about it because I genuinely think this is one of the times where the backlash against it mm-hmm. has hurt it. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I hope so. As somebody who, uh, you know, abstained from the project, uh, you know, from, from, Oh, I, I got, did I tell you that I got like really upset at the backlash yesterday? <laughs> I, I mean, I I got really just like, Tuesday and Wednesday. I got really like, okay, I get the point. You don't like it at this point. You're beginning to become like those vegetarians who throw blood over people. Right. Well, I don't know. No, not everyone, but there were definitely people out there who were making like incredibly broad claims about what it meant if you read the comic okay you know what but here's the thing and maybe this is just me because before about 20 minutes before we talked um i read this this um it was on somebody it might be our 
buddy Ian Brill's Tumblr, maybe, um, about how some statement by uh, Heather, who's the deuce? What's her last name? Do you know? Heather, who's the deuce? I have absolutely no you know, idea. The deuce, D O O C E. She's the she's like the woman who's like the full time blogger and the mom and raises the kids and she's out in Salt Lake City and she's one of the most successful, arguably absolutely indie bloggers donor. I honestly have no idea who you're talking about. Oh man! All right. Well, anyway. So she she was at this conference uh, and and was arguing with David Reese about something and she was sitting next to John Hodgman and she said uh, essentially that Hodgman who now has something like seven hundred and forty thousand you know I, I've actually found the quote Do you want me to read the quote Yes I, I please do. Real thing. At dinner, the conversation turned to blogs and Tumblr and comments and blogs. How many of the readers of these sites have taken their comments to Twitter or Facebook? And Hodgman, whose Twitter account has almost 720,000 followers, casually mentioned that he's noticed a strange, somewhat uncomfortable shift in how people interact with each other through this medium in particular. And then he articulated exactly what I've experienced and tried unsuccessfully to explain to people about Twitter. It's a very weird reality to live in when you can read what thousands of strangers are currently thinking about you, both good and bad. Weird mostly in the fact that people People who are saying the bad things either don't realize that, you know, hey, I'm standing right here and I can hear you, or they just don't have the generosity to realize that they are talking about slash to a human being, one whose creative success was probably made possible because she had mined her own insecurities, shortcomings, thin skin, and pain. That's just the reality that I now live in. I accept it, but that doesn't make it any less strange or at times unpleasant. Totally. I totally agree with that. See, I totally disagree with that. How Seriously? Ironic. Yes. Because here's the thing. Okay, there's two things going on here. One is I feel that there is something that's a little bit like that, which is that Twitter is more like telepathy than conversation. I I totally believe that. Because the whole idea of like, hey, you don't know this person standing next to you. You don't I don't know who's following me. I mean, I guess I suppose if I was if there there are times I mean, there are times when you and I do – there's times where I leave the person's name off if I'm going to be discussing them so that it doesn't turn up, you know, in their timeline. And I it's, think that that's basically – It's particular person we're talking about. Well, there are – there is at least one, uh, <laughs> you know. No, but, I completely agree. And they find out anyway, Jeff. Yes, of course they do. And But because they look, you know what I mean? So that is my but, thing no, to me. But No, but here's the thing. I agree with you on that sense, but at the same time, yesterday on Twitter, and this is one of the things that really, really upset me, mm-hmm. Brandon Graham is talking shit about everyone who works for before Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Completely talking shit. And someone, Sean Collins or Chris Rant or someone, mm-hmm. said, from what I've heard, he might be doing it because his wife is sick and he gets health insurance from DC if he does this. Mm-hmm. And Brandon Graham essentially went, well, fuck him. Mm-hmm. It's more important not to do a comic than for his wife to get health care. And that just seemed like so incredibly, like not only, I don't want to say inhuman, but like it was such a weird sort of selfish response, mm-hmm. but also so vitriolically selfish. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes, no, it's very, it and, is very and, and it's said in public is the thing. Mm-hmm. I don't care whether mm-hmm. Adam Hughes or Adam Hughes' wife or anyone is following Brandon Graham. Mm-hmm. If one person says it about another person in public, mm-hmm. you can pretty much count on that person finding out. 
Because people will be like, did you see what such and such said about you? I get that shit all the time. I purposefully do not read comments on certain things right. that I've written. And I get people emailing me going, have you seen what this person's saying about you? Right. Well, and I think very sensibly you have to tell them to stop doing that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't mean that in a, a bad way, but I mean, like, you know, people are going to... Sh- Okay, here you are so, wait, so wait, much wait. more in the public eye than I am that it's sure. very easy for me to say, I don't care if people shit talk me because the fact of the matter is it's really, really, really small. Maybe at some point I will get so hugely successful that it will be impossible for me to look at anything without being able to see, you know, essentially someone talking shit about me kind of. But I still don't think that that... Um, I still find that incredibly ridiculous that somebody's going to be like, uh, hello, I'm standing right next to you. It's like, no, you're not. This is a social media network. No, sure, sure. No, but know no, who but you are or take, where you don't are. Don't take the I'm standing right next to you literally. You're saying something in public and someone else is going to probably find out about it. It doesn't matter if they're yes. standing. I don't know. I just I think it's a different thing from thinking. It's a different thing from being telepathic. Because if you're just telepathic, you're eavesdropping. If you're saying well, something public, you're like it's. You would say things to your like you and I would say things to each other in private that yes. we would not say, like in a group of friends. Right, that is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, it's that. Right. What you're essentially arguing is something I say, and if I'm not saying it to someone in particular, then it's their own fault if they find out that I'm saying it, and that's not true in a physical situation. So why should it be true in a virtual situation? Because because a virtual situation is not the same as a physical situation. No, but that's like, what I'm no. But what I'm saying is, why should we be less respectful of other people virtually than we would be in the real world? I guess what I would say is because in the real world, the demarcations of when to be respectful are essentially really easy. And there's still faux pas. You know, you still are at a party, or at least for me, I've had great situations where I've talked shit about somebody and I've turned around and they're right there. Oh, I and I didn't so know high. it. You it's know what worst. I mean? That And so that's what I'm saying. There's something that's essentially human nature in that. Now, I would never do that if the person was in front of me and I would never be one of those people that would like pretend that I didn't see them and then proceed to shit talk them, you know? But, and here's my thing that's very different. You do not have those cues in the virtual world. And so kind of what it is, is like, hey, you know what? Don't express your opinion if it's going to bother other people. You don't no, necessarily, it, not, because those other people saying. will eventually find out about no, it. No, I think it is. It's express your opinions in not an asshole way. Hmm. No, it is. But it's it's not saying do not be negative about something. It's saying do not be an idiot. Do not be an asshole. I'm sorry, because the person who judges whether or not you're being an asshole isn't you, it's the listener. So when Steve Wacker gets to decide whether I'm an asshole or not, I've lost the war. No, but at the same time, you can take steps, Jeff. There's Mm -hmm. a difference between, well, I can't say anything because that person will think I'm an asshole, and I can't say, I can't be intentionally provocative. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I don't think a person's being... See, this is where you're leading I, into this idea that the only reason someone would say something like, well, screw them, you know, 
is because they're being intentionally provocative. It, it seems to suggest okay, that there in, is insensitive. Then, yeah, well, yes, things are insensitive. Some, you know what I mean. I, I'm kind of like there's a there's like Abhay's little post about Minutemen uh, about before Watchmen, where he pretty much rips the bandaid off of you. You know the kind of. Which is, I think, is the attitude that I think you've taken, which is hate DC, blame DC and not the creators. Yeah. And and well, and he says, I don't get that shit at all. The, the creators are just these helpless people who get a pass for everything because they're freelancers. He's like this generation of creators for whom the shape of things is ever in someone else's control, according to them. But if they choose to have their work be about something that meant something now meaning nothing, if they choose to have their audience be more cynical, if they actively work to confuse their audience as to what story means and the purpose of story and deteriorate the meaning of the term story by labeling various corporate widgets as stories, how are these things not in their control? I thought the whole point of being a freelancer was being able to say no to shit. And I think I think that last line is huge, you know? How much do people just want to work in their fucking pajamas and whether why should I care whether that lifestyle gets subsidized? You know? It's uh, it's like Oh, I I I I want to be able to agree with them, but I can't agree with them. I know that I've mm-hmm. taken jobs that I don't want because I absolutely have to pay the mortgage. Right. Well like I like I like I, mm-hmm. I, I wish I could agree with them. I wish I could mm-hmm. be like, yeah, that's right, that's what being a that's what being a freelancer is about. But it's not. Right. Like well, it this, seems this... that strikes me as what somebody who has a job and, right. does, and, and freelances on the side thinks mm-hmm. freelancing is. I think it's an ideal right. version of freelancing. Mm-hmm. Well, or it's one version of freelancing because I think you're right. Let's no, put but it, it sucks. It... The financial reality of living mm-hmm. requires you to to be able to afford things, and I'm not talking like to be able to afford an Xbox. Mm-hmm. But to be able to afford to live, yeah. I, I on the one hand, I combine. I completely. Let's put it this way. I agree with you on both counts. One count is as somebody who has a job uh, and doesn't think that that and freelances on the side. I am not aware of how much that has probably colored my shape of this whole situation. And the second thing is again, there's still. How do I put this? It does get the the lines do start getting very blurry with various freelancing projects, especially in the case of something like Before Watchmen, where it's not like most of those guys are guys who are having trouble finding work for the most part. Sure. But, now there's but always what, the freelancer if, sort of Damocles, but but what if they it, also just disagree with the take of it's morally wrong? What if they I, what if they need the sure. money and they just don't think it's morally wrong to do the book? I I get that. I think they should not complain when people disagree with them, though. I but there's I a difference between wrong. but there's a difference between disagreeing and saying these people are sold out. Mm. If they disagree, they're not selling out. That is true. That is certainly true. There is no conscious selling out going in there, and that's why that's why there's lots of people who talk about how bad the system is that the produces a string of people who don't necessarily know that they're selling out when they are. I give up. <laughs> I know. I really I do know. because you're approaching from such a, an absolutist standpoint that even the phrase they don't know if they're selling it, they don't know they're selling it when they are. But I'm arguing that maybe they're not selling out because they do not agree. 
No, I, it's I, like, I, I'm right. honestly, this is me throwing my hands up in the air and being like, okay, let's right. move on. <laughs> well, I, I, I do want to say that I, I would like to believe that I'm not a flat out Steve Ditko absolutist in that sense. But I do think that, um, it, it, interestingly enough, I was emailing with someone else today who was sort of talking about how kind of they had been asking me to sort of explain uh, the, fr- the the Kirby frustration. Like there's a lot of people, you know, they're kind of like, I hate to say it, but I'm one of those people that really doesn't get it, you know. Mm-hmm. And But they feel like the before Watchmen situation is a lot more immediate for them and makes more sense. I, I, and I, I think, I think that's really true of a lot of people. Absolutely. And so what I was trying to say, rather than do some, you know, fancy Dan kidney punches to, to, to your spleen there, uh, was the idea that, um, these things can become more and more abstract. And I do subscribe to the thinking that, that, we have to be on guard that through the level of abstraction, it allows us to not just blindly perpetuate terrible things and be like, well, but I didn't really see a problem with it. You know what I mean? And I, I, and I'm not necessarily saying that that is the situation here. I will say, I think it's become fairly clear over our conversations with things that I am a little closer to the day job guys, I guess, in a certain degree of, um, uh, I, I feel that there's moral accountability. I mean, the thing is, is that I would like to think that I live my life with the unfortunate feeling that I'm morally accountable for just about everything, <laughs> which is why I feel so goddamn guilty all the time. So, you well, know. I'm... What's really weird to me is yesterday I made a, a thing on Twitter. I made a reference on mm-hmm. Twitter that um, the Watchmen thing really reminds me of Steve Gerber and Howard the Duck. Mm-hmm. And then someone's like, yeah, what about Steve Gerber and Omega the Unknown as well? Mm-hmm. Um. And I realized that I think I'm actually more upset about <laughs> Steve Gerber and Howard the Duck and No Maker Than Known than I am about Alan Moore and Watchmen. And I don't know why. Well, I have I more. Mean, I have a more of a, an emotional reaction. Sure. To, to sure. Gerber's experience. Mm-hmm. Although Gerber, to be fair, took Marvel to court, and as far as I understand, lost. Although the documents are sequel, no, no, they settled. My understanding is is that Gerber walked out under an NDA, essentially co-owning the character. I, and I, I could be dramatically wrong about that. He went on to complain a lot about the things that Marvel chose to do with with Howard, uh, and and specifically in trying to keep Disney from from suing their asses off, but. Uh, I, I, I did not know that. I had I, heard a story that, that Gerber did walk out of things um, from that court thing with a settlement. And some people believe that part of that settlement was um, was some form of co-ownership with the character. That, or at least some sort of heavy-duty creator participation in it. I, I would say at best it's heavy-duty creator participation because I've never seen anything to the extent that he owns it. Yeah, let me Even see apart- I could be – I'm probably – I mean courts, never – Marvel. Because I, I would also think that if that was the case, then he would have gotten back, like he would have had some control over the character. Uh, yeah. And, and, and he didn't. <laughs> um, he may have just gotten a huge settlement. He may have just decided to get a huge settlement. Let me look here. <laughs> Boop. Uh, Battle for Howard the Duck. Um, subsequently launched legal, lengthy legal battle uh, for Howard the Duck suit in the 80s um 
Wow, and then they don't actually talk about Yeah, that. no, exactly. You look at, you look at it on Wikipedia? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, that's what I did yesterday and it didn't have a uh it didn't have a conclusion. Right. Okay, I swear that I saw someplace else and then Okay, but... l- listeners, it, like if you can validate yeah. if, or or let us know says, exactly. like if you have any mm-hmm. proof about what happened in the lawsuit, I would be fascinated to find that. I really genuinely yeah. genuinely would. That, that would actually be incredibly helpful uh, because I could be working off of really sketchy and just flat out wrong. This The settlement did remain confidential, so its chances are good that whoever said uh, that it was, you know, that he walked out of there with ownership was was probably misspeaking because they wouldn't have, wouldn't have known. Similarly, of course, the Omega, the unknown situation, you know. Uh, there's very there's various things to that. One of the things I find fascinating is Gerber always insisted, and who knows whether it's true or not, that he um, was only willing to, to continue or conclude the series if Mary Screens had wanted to. So in that sense, he was trying to honor, you know, her wishes as co-creator of the book. In that sense, to to not continue to not return to that story and try and finish it up mm-hmm. later but but i mean i don't know i just i was surprised at myself for actually being like yeah i'm i'm more i have more of an emotional reaction to this than i do to moore right and watchman and i'm not right. i i cannot explain it i don't know why yeah. yeah no it's true these things do i'm i'm at the point where kirby like rings bells for me in a in a way that it didn't while he was actively getting screwed. You know what I mean? Like, I remember reading, and of course, the whole battle over, you know, Marvel trying to force him into a bad contract to get his original art back. I read it, and I was like, wow, that really sucks. But I mean, I was saying that while walking up with a big pile of Marvel comics. Exactly. I hope you know? one day he gets something from this. I don't know. It's just, it, it is a very, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's It's... I do think that there's a lot to be said, and this, for my own hippie, touchy-feely state, the idea that what's important is trying to figure out how you feel about things and not trying to make a determination or no, judgment on how I, other people feel. Which is a lot of the reason, a lot of the problem I had with people yesterday when they were saying right. things like, respect yourself, don't buy this book. I was like, mm-hmm. no, respect yourself and make your own mind up. Yes. Like, I completely yeah. respect everyone who has a problem with this book. Mm-hmm. But I also have no problem with people like, I've actually thought through all the issues and I'm going to buy this book. Well, or even sometimes, again, that's the weird thing that's, I don't know. I, you know, it's one of those things that has come up a little bit in the comments. But, you know, I, I'm a dude who's who's not eaten red meat for uh, uh, 25 years, pretty much, for the most part. And, and no chicken i did i i do eat fish i'm a pescatarian and have been for since 92 or something i'll oh say God. you're a pescatarian yeah <laughs> oh <laughs> we should get like a little cowbell sound <laughs> exactly <something> can... wow. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know I, I, let's put it this, i don't know how to explain like i could walk everyone through the boring story and i thought i was going to do that and realized it would not be smart um of what flip the trigger inside my brain but all i can say is is that there's a moment of emotional connection that you need to keep it from being more than just abstract stuff even in the oh i know it's wrong i know it's wrong there comes some point where something can turn in you and there admittedly there's times where you're completely mistaken like there are people who are buying before watchmen yesterday who see no problem with it 
I'm like, you know, good for you. And 10, 15 years later, they may be like, oh my God, what have I done? You know, the same way that I do when I'm sitting on like a huge stack of Marvel comics from 1985 or whatever. Um, You know, and that's, it's, it is just human nature. Part of me is like being all hippie-ish and like, why should we judge? But that being said, I would, I would be sad if we lost um, valuable, valuable contributions to shit talking. (laughs) <laughs> by, by being able to do by by being a little too respectful uh and thank god i mean this is why i was kind of hoping that we would get a chance to eventually move on to at some point to talk about double shot uh and because it allowed uh, sorry double barrel i was gonna say um, I'll, I'll only let you talk about double barrel if you get the name right <laughs> yeah no shit sorry about that it's one of those things where it's like okay i'm opening this up on my ipad so i don't fuck up the name because i screwed it up at least three times uh, in prep for this. So, um, you know, to be able to talk about the good too. And that is the thing. I did feel so great being able to put down a book that I was really excited about and happy to talk about, you know, um, it feels a lot better, believe it or not, than just mindless. No, I, I totally get it. Because mindless shit talking. To, okay, to answer multiple of your points, uh, I think it's very funny that I feel like I'm the one who is saying let's not shit talk, considering I should talk for a living. Um, yes. <laughs> but no, I, I, I do. I, I feel I'm becoming much more aware of the reach of shit talking, I guess. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm just getting old. Uh, but, to do- but to Double Barrel, Double Barrel is spectacular. People who don't know what we're talking about, Double Barrel is a online-only monthly anthology by Kevin Cannon and Xander Cannon. Uh, they, it's going to be a variable page length each month. They promise uh, no less than 50 pages per month. First issue is 112 pages for one ninety nine, which is spectacular. Yeah. Spectacular yeah, yeah. value for money. Uh Future issues are also going to have guest creators doing mm-hmm. stuff coming in that. The idea is over the course of a year, they're going to serialize their uh, two graphic novels. Uh, right. It's a, oh, who's doing what? Xander's doing yes. um, Heck and Kevin is doing Creator 6, right? Creator 15, uh, sorry. Creator 15, exactly. Um, Creator 15 is a sequel to Far Arden, which came out a couple of years ago and is spectacular really 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 good um but anyway they serialized that over the course of a year and then at the end of the year two other creators are going to take over the series wow and it's going yeah. to be another year of serialization uh, of yeah. graphic novels uh it's a it's a great idea and luckily the comics are spectacular they are fantastic i mean it is one of those situations where um oh you know i should say first off it's unbelievably enough it's actually 122 pages not 100 oh you're so. you're totally right yeah yeah it's gone up 10 pages but that first uh yeah 28 pages or so of heck is an amazingly dense read i mean that alone was worth a dollar 99 and i still ended up with another 48 pages worth of fantastic work by Kevin Cannon and I hadn't followed the previous trailer. And additionally, having picked up Bleeding Cool number zero and flipped through Hooray Comics Creators or whatever it is, the the image sort of basically looking at, at the stands at two different types of essential kind of house organ magazines, for lack of a better term. Um Double Barrel is by far the best in that it it has it's almost entirely the two creators, um, 
but there are there's a page for the top shelf calendar with upcoming releases um, and just a variety of other little things that make you aware that yes this is tied to top shelf and what top shelf does and and works so well it is it's actually a fantastic online comics magazine that for a you know a buck 99 is just a I mean it's a tremendous value it would have been a tremendous value it would have been a good value in theory with any one of the three component pieces put together it's it's awesome yeah I, I love it I thought I think it's so good I I found out about it um I got a postcard did I tell you this I got a postcard no. last week about really? it. I, yeah, the blue is just like, hey, this is happening. And mm-hmm. I was like, that looks great. I wonder when it's happening. Oh, next Wednesday. I'll have to remember that. Right. Yeah, that, exactly. that's, why I've, that's why I've tweeted about it a couple of times because I don't think a lot of people know about it. And it's spectacular. It's really, really good. If you read digital comics, you should totally read it because absolutely, it's it's if nothing else, even if you don't like the comics, I think I, part of me is like, it's one ninety nine buy it anyway to support the format. Right. Well, and there is that. There's. It's hard not to break out the whole team com- go team comics thing. But for me, it is. It is the closest thing that indie comics has to to a Shonen Jump Alpha, and it is shockingly, shockingly close in the sense of. I mean, it's monthly, not weekly, but absurdly satisfying and well worth the time. Definitely one of the best purchases that I made in comics. Definitely this week and probably this. Well, it's only the it's the beginning of June, but in the last month or so. Really good stuff. And I, I too, plan to talk it up on Twitter more because it really is. A lot of people who listen to this podcast and ask us more about our indie comics that we like as well as our superhero comics, please go get this. I think you'll like it. And also, once you've read Creator 15, go back Mm -hmm. and get Far Arden, which is... I want to say it's like 300 pages. I could be wrong. It's a really thick hardcover book. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's spectacular. It's so good. And it will kill you by the time you get to the end i believe it i totally believe you're, it. you're yeah, really I'm, you spend the entire like the, the first like seven eighths of the book going this is hilarious this is a great adventure and then that that end breaks your heart in yeah. two and stamps on it it is so good <laughs> that sounds fantastic i really do i will probably end up picking it up in shelfless format um, but I am very excited. I was going to say, it is available digitally, so yeah, you should definitely... Yeah, I think that's it, so, yeah. Okay, back uh, to questions, because we... Yes! Like, literally, we lost it for, like... like Dude! Four um, ben Podcasting Lip- gold, though. You and I just about coming to blows, though. People are going to be... I mean, admittedly... <laughs> I wasn't even coming to blows. I was giving up. You were going to punch me, and I was the one walking away being like, whatever, man. <laughs> yeah, but see, I know how you work, Grab. That's, that's like, that's your ha! You know what I mean? That's how you rip people's hearts out and, like, throw them at their faces. This is just by, like, by being that. It's a, it's a low blow, man. Really? I didn't know that. I feel bad now. <laughs> oh, no. No, that's not ben, what I meant. Don't ben do that. Don't asks, who yes. would win an epic battle between Orion of the New Gods and Ikari of the Eternals? I would give that to Orion unless it's like a fashion contest, in which case I'd give it to Ikari of the Eternals. The best part is when I read that, I was like, it's totally Orion because even if he's outclassed by power, he would just keep going until he wins. Well, that's it. Exactly. He I would think that's die right. before giving up. Yeah. Um, who would win in a space fight between Nova and Green Lantern? Mm, I would have to say Green Lantern, but I really like Nova more for the most part. I, 
I, Isn't that a shame? There's no I, reason to. Yeah, because Nova's not great, I have to tell you. Um, who would win in a pre-New 52 race? Wally West or the recently returned Barry Allen? Dan DiDio. <laughs> who would be considered the biggest dork by those who don't see their inner goodness, Peter Parker or Clark Kent? Uh, that's a really good question. I would tend to give it to Peter Parker in the Ditko era uh, and then Clark Kent in the post-Ditko Spider-Man era. See, I was going to say Parker in general because I don't think Clark Kent comes across as a dork. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, either. The- I think there's more something more just like, oh, he's a cl- clumsy goof. I don't right. know. I just I don't get the same nerd Thing. Yeah, the nerd thing is something that really did fade by the time we're around, you know? Like, even into the 70s when he's like a newscaster, he just it doesn't – it just – it doesn't really seem to stick. I mean, that's the thing. I think – whereas I – arguably, I think you could say that it's true, that people who don't like Parker, there's always somebody, I guess, right? Yeah, and there's always somebody who's like, that dweeb, that science dweeb, go and read your books. Whereas, like, really since what? Uh, when Danny O'Neill started in Superman, yeah. Clark Kent stopped being a nerd. Like, mm-hmm. people might make fun of him, but he's like, mm-hmm. I'm on television, or I'm, like, in the Burn era, I'm this ridiculously successful novelist. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, he was, Clark was never that, it was never that bad to be Clark again. No, it really wasn't. After a certain point, it really just did get to be kind of a very silly thing. And it's a shame. I, I, well, I and I, again, I, so, yeah. getting back to that, getting, like, mm-hmm. talking about action again, I think Morrison's. Yes. Aiming for that again. Right. So you have Jimmy saying, how the hell did you go out with someone like Lana Lang? You know, yeah. you get the... And it's it's more nerdy. It's definitely more Peter Parker-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it really is a sense of like, you know, we all like him, but we don't really know what's going on with Clark type thing. Right. right. Well, and I think that's the thing that I think is kind of interesting about Morrison's take on on it on the whole situation is it's very hard to have a it's hard to have it's hard to have a convincing outcast nerd in a culture that is now sort of completely been subsumed by nerd culture you yeah know what i mean yeah exactly so i think he's seen, he's a little more keen to follow the ways in which kent is an outsider i suppose mm-hmm. you know which does very interesting things to, I guess, the Superman-Kent dynamic. And I'll be curious to see where it goes. So, okay. Uh, John K. UK, yay, asks, question for the both of yous. Uh, which creative team would you choose to do the duties on a licensed Zardoz comic? Branson oh. Graham writes pulp, pulp up draws. Brilliant. Wow. And if we were going to flip that to what I would never read, Brian Bendis writes and Howard Chicken draws. Oh, now I, there's there's this creative team for Black Kiss 3, isn't it? Oh, man, that would be great. <laughs> Brian Bendis writing Black Kiss 3. That would be awesome. Black Kiss 3, maybe a hand job. Uh <laughs> So, yeah. Have you seen the motion picture Gentleman Broncos? If you have, what did you think of it? Haven't seen it. Haven't seen it. I haven't. In fact, I think I went and looked it up when I first read this question months ago. It's uh, the it's the one with the guy from Flight of the Concords about the science fiction novelist. Am I correct? Oh, right. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, uh, I, I've, I've just not seen it. I remember lots of people talking about it, but I've not seen it. I, I have to admit, I kind of, I kind of adored Jermaine from Flight of the Concords, so I've always 
wanted to see it. That movie, I thought it was called something else, which varies. I, it, from might be, it might be. I could be misremembering. No, you're you're absolutely right. Jared Hess, uh, the Hess brothers, and with Jermaine Clement and Mike White in it. So yes, an exciting. I will have to check it out and get back to you, John. Um, uh, three is Ultimate Spider-Man really the best reviewed comic in the world? With quotes not even slightly. <laughs> no, no. I mean that. No, it's not is even the best reviewed Marvel comic in the world. Is is what well, did that pop up? Did yeah, they make that claim? No, no. I'm fairly sure that they advertised when the the first Ultimate Spider-Man trade, the Miles Morales trade, came out. I'm mm-hmm. fairly sure they made that claim in the advert. Wow. Well, that's. It's amazing. I don't know. Is that the one where I was looking at Marvel's numbers the other day and it's had kind of a devastating drop from the first premiere of the issue to like issue five or six or whatever, hasn't it? Yeah, no, but even so, it's way more stable than the Ultimates and Ultimate X-Men, which are, which, are, like, which are, are yeah. dangerously tumbling. Yeah, Although, yeah, yeah. if you want dangerously tumbling with Marvel – Defenders is fucking horrendous. Oh yeah, isn't that amazing? And it's still shedding. I mean, that's kind of Defenders is Defenders is not going to make it to a year, or if it does, it's making it to a year because they really want to be nice to Matt Fraction because that's that's going to be in the danger zone really soon, and it's not even issue ten. Well, what are the sales at? Do you remember? Is it in the I, is it I, in I, the forty thousands, thirty thousands? I I thirty thousands or maybe even below that. See, yeah, exactly. It's, it's I'm like low. Yeah, if it if it's in the twenty thousands, it's already low. But than see, that's just it. I thought I I was sure it was dead, and mm-hmm. then Jamie McKelvey was like, "New ongoing artist as of issue eight. and I was like, "Really? You're adding an ongoing artist that late? Yeah. Like you must be thinking this book's going to continue." Well, or you're or you're not you <laughs> you're doing your four issue wrap up, and you don't want to present it that way so that sales don't tank on it. Yeah, that's possible. I don't know, but yeah, it's just it's where is it? I'm trying to find it in the list. This is when I look at it and find out. Well, oh, it's doing much better than I thought, but I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. Da, 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 Super Crooks, Deadpool, Venom, Carnage. It is at twenty-seven thousand eight hundred ninety-three. Wow. Okay. So on, yeah, on issue five. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's. I'm sure that's cancellation level, isn't it? Uh. No, that was 20,000, 20,000. Yeah, 20,000 and below. The thing that's frustrating is is I think people will turn around and say, for example, some of the Annihilation books, uh, you know, the cosmic books that Admit and Lanning were doing, mm-hmm. might have gotten the axe while being in the mid to low 20,000s, and people couldn't quite... I think the cosmic fans were actually somewhat unhappy about that. Yeah. So, so yeah, there is oh, the realm. If he wasn't fractured yet, there would be a lot of worries about it. Bear in mind that issue one was 85,000, issue two was 38,000, issue three was 33,000, issue four was 29,000, and issue five was 27,000. Wow. It keeps losing 2,000 a month? Yeah, 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 yeah. So. I mean, that's, yeah. and that's issue five, is it that? It, it's, I can't believe it's going to make it to an end of, the end of the year unless they're literally like, it was always a 12 issue series, haha, jokes on you. Yeah, I think so. I think that Which, I, you know, I would not be. They probably will do. Yeah, exactly. So, and getting back to the question, Ultimate Spider-Man really isn't the best reviewed comic in the world. Thank goodness. Uh, aren't there laws about false advertising anymore? Not uh, that anyone really pays attention not, to it. Not in America. There are in Britain. I was, really, I was really, yeah. I was really surprised when I came to America and realized that you don't have the same laws. 
<laughs> I was like, seriously, you could say shit in advertising over here. That's amazing. Yeah, well, uh, that that if there's ever something that would sum up, you know, serve as America's epitaph. Um, oh, I'm looking at the wrong thing here. Okay, so, and now I'm on the wrong question because I was trying to look up George Freeman. Why doesn't George Freeman draw comics anymore, Graham? I don't know, and I wish he did because I loved, loved, loved his work. Oh, I did, just, I've did just looked him off Wikipedia, probably because he's busy coloring comics. He co-founded Digital Chameleon in 1991. Oh, interesting. <clears throat> so, yeah, also, he's 61 years old. He might just have retired. What did he draw? Is there a reason why he's not ranked? Uh, he did a lot of like random DC work. Mm-hmm. He did. Uh, he definitely did like uh, green. I think he did the Secret Origin of the Golden Age Green Lantern way back when in the eighties. He did like Captain Canuck. He did mm-hmm. Wasteland with John Ostrander. Mm. Um, I, I, that's all I can think of offhand. Well, waste, yeah. Wasteland was a uh, uh, was an anthology, right? Yeah. He he was one that there was like three revolving artists. There was okay. um, Don Simpson, David Don's, Lloyd. Yeah, uh, well, it must be four because William Messner Lopes wrote drew it as well. Uh, That's right, and and Freeman. So he was actually the guy I didn't notice. Amazingly enough, <laughs> his stuff Sorry. really really is one of the things. Like if you go back and look at his stuff now, it's just, it's lovely. It's really beautiful work. Um, I guess he moved into coloring and then retired. Is the answer? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there we have it. Is the idea I just had for a series of James Elroy adaptations written by Howard Victor Chaikin and drawn by Jody Bernay making you both phone twit all your industry contacts to make it a reality? Uh, the answer to that <laughs> is no, because I don't think Graham particularly especially likes James Elroy. No, I, no I, um, I, I, I've, it's Howard Chaikin that's putting me off for some reason. Oh, interesting. Chaikin is also putting me off. I, of course, adore Jody Bernay, and the idea of him drawing Elroy stuff would be kind of phenomenal. Um, but I don't know, you know, as somebody who adores Elroy, I'm not sure it would work as comics. I, I don't, you know, I, I really have a sense of like, like you could tell the plot, mm-hmm. but Elroy's not really about the plot. Or yeah. am I alone in that? Like Elroy's about how you tell, like the storytelling, the, mm-hmm. the actual experience of, of reading and of his language in a way that, interesting. I am. I might just be me. No, 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 no. I, my thing is, and as, as someone who adores Elroy, and this is going to be even weirder, is the idea that there are dudes who are perfectly situated. Like when you make when you go from reading comics to reading, you know, books without the pictures in them, there are some writers that are fucking ph- phenomenal for smoothing that transition. And I really do think Elroy is one of those guys who like, if you like a certain type of comics, um, you will like Elroy, you know? The trick is, weirdly, I feel like those guys who are so adjacent to comics in that way don't fit back into the box well, you know? it's It becomes much more of a procrustean bed for them. You know, I, and I could be completely wrong, but I, for example, for me, um, although I could be wrong, I've never found an, an interesting Stephen King adaptation comic book as a guy. And I'm a guy who loves King, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or used to love King, I should say, but still have enough fondness for him that, um, you know, picking up the stuff, looking through the stuff with the stand or the Dark Tower stuff or any number of things. I'm like, it's amazing to me that a guy who so inherently has taken in a way, all so many of the things I love about comics, somehow when you transmute it back, yeah, there's something that then ends up missing. And maybe it's the prose, maybe it's just the the very simple, direct, 
You know what I mean? So yeah, I, 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 for some reason, James Earlier in comics, I, I, my response is pretty much, I'd rather read the books. My, and my response is, I would rather try to take, have somebody try and create the experience of reading Jim, James Elroy in a comic book without actually adapting Elroy, if you know what I mean. Like I, yeah. I, I, know, I, know, I totally understand. Yeah, I've I've been obsessed with uh, the idea of doing a like a year worth of Batman stories, and all of them pretty much would be like, what if Batman was being written by James Elroy? You know, um, and just because it's all you know, it's all crooked cops and obsessed you know psychopaths, so it fits in perfectly with the with the Batman mythos i suppose but no one's ever really kind of brought i felt a, a particularly elroyish sensibility to it um because i think you know because i think really the, the dc editors would probably you know punch you in the cock with a hole puncher you know so uh, um so in other words sorry john we're kind of just harshing your mellow here when i was a young 2000 ad reader i thought colin wilson who was drawing mostly rogue trooper was a pseudonym for jean Giro mobius does this make me an idiot? No, because he he really looks at his Mobius. <laughs> Carl Milson, but Carl Milson in eighties definitely was like, you know who's great? Mobius. You know whose stuff I'm quite clearly looking at a lot? Mobius. You look at it now. <laughs> no, it, it's you look at it now and you're like, it's obviously not the same guy. But I remember at the time because I saw Wilson before I saw Mobius. When I saw mm-hmm. Mobius for the first time, I was like, oh, it looks like that guy used to draw a rogue trooper. <laughs> Oh, and you know, let me just say, by the way, so I can announce it, Graham, I got the Zombo trade by Al Ewing and Henry Flint. Uh, Zombo, can I eat you, please? And this is another one that I would mightily recommend. Um, listeners of the podcast who like their sort of darkly funny stuff, like if, if you sort of want like Garth Ennis comics, but without all the dubious uh, sexual politics going on, Zombo is... I thought it was pretty phenomenal. I thought that that was kind of brilliant stuff. I'm, I'm going to follow that up with something else about Al Ewing then. Al Ewing has actually taken over uh, Garth Ennis' Jennifer Blood. That's right. Jennifer Blood was, I'll be polite, not my favorite comic. As mm-hmm. you know, I, I get the dynamite comps. So I have read every issue of Jennifer Blood. Mm-hmm. Al Ewing has turned me into someone who thinks that Jennifer Blood is not just a good comic, but a really great comic. And I'm not like I honestly read the most recent issue and was like, holy shit, that was stunningly good. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I'm saying that about Jennifer Blood, I I don't know what to think about that at all. But yeah, yeah, the most recent issue of Jennifer Blood is outstanding and really Mm -hmm. like I think I I would highly recommend you at least pick it up, Jeff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, I yeah, it's I really was I was blown away by it. Interesting. I will. I will go. It was when I found out that Al had, picked, had taken it over. I was like, oh well, maybe I'll pick up a copy. And I picked up an issue on the stands and just found it. I don't know. It just didn't kind of snag me. I guess you know because I think he's you know he's working within the the precepts of everything. That well, well, that's just it. Yeah. And then there's this issue. Mm-hmm. And this issue is like it. It honestly read to me like, what if Garth Ennis was as smart as he thinks he is and did not all the hang-ups that he does? <laughs> I'm laughing both because that's funny and as a shout-out, shout as a callback to our shit-talking conversation, is just awesome. So, uh, 
As I'm saying, I'm talking, I'm like, I'm arguing against you talking, and then 20 minutes later, Jeff. I, I know, I know, I know, I know, but I, but I still feel I'm that holds some sort of value. I I'm think that holds some... Hypocrite. No. No, I am, let's face it. <laughs> next question. Oh, anyway, but before the next question, people, if you really, seriously, go find a Zombo. It was hard. I couldn't get it through Diamond. Uh, some of you probably don't have the um, stance against Amazon that I do. So go grab a copy. What Al Ewing can do in five pages is kind of stunning. It really is amazing. I, I wish more, honest to God, wish more people in the industry were writing like him. Really amazing stuff. I am uh, I am genuinely surprised that he hasn't been snagged by Marvel or DC yet. I mean really I I don't I don't understand unless they're just literally not reading two thousand eighty. I think I, they mean I, I don't think they are, yeah. I don't think you, they are. I mean you can't to my mind read Zombo and not be like, oh this person should be writing a lot more. Yeah. Well Zombo is just Zombo is pitch perfect. Zombo is pitch perfect, but what it is pitch perfect is so far out of the realm is is exactly the road that i feel like dc and marvel are kind of retreating from yeah yeah like you know if this if this were 10 or 20 years ago and it were the mid 90s yeah i think that he you know al ewing would like be getting a drink of water from you know the tap and then suddenly he would be on the head and he'd wake up and karen Berger will have tied yeah exactly and And, and we'd be like yes we mm-hmm. we have we have our new vertical star. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I I, uh, I mean, have you have you read Saucer of Zilk yet? His Brandon no. McCarthy series. Mm-hmm. Oh Jeff, oh Jeff. Wait, uh, it's fairly far on in 2009. I I would say wait until the collection comes out. But when the collection comes out, you want to jump on that like a motherfucker. Yeah, I, be- oh, I believe. Oh it. yes, you really do. Wow. Okay. So, uh, yes, Al Ewing, hopefully you're still listening to the podcast because we just gave you some shout-outs. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully you're not blushing well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think sort of it's just to be like, hey, you know who's great? Al Ewing. You know who's really Al great? Ewing's Al Ewing. I know. It's like, kind of I, yeah, I just saw him. He's really handsome as well. Al Ewing's spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> we me? Yeah, we really are. We're so close to Oh, I love him. It's so I know putting the little pillow by my the picture by my pillow. Uh, so which one are we on? Number eight. Have Number eight. Ever met anyone who's actually read the '80s DC maxi series Lords of the Ultra Realm or Sonic's Disruptors? I'll be honest. If you've not, then my answer is no. <laughs> I have. I have actually not read those. I do know. I do know. Honest to God, I swear to God, I know lots of people who have read Sonic Disruptors. I know nobody who has actually finished Sonic Disruptors. That's because be Sonic Disruptors didn't finish. Is Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why. But, Do you not remember? Yeah. Sonic Disruptors is the 12-issue series that canceled like issue 8 or something. <laughs> really? They just yeah. didn't even finish it? They didn't yeah, wrap it up just, prematurely? No, no, no it, just, it just got pulled. Oh, that is awesome. Oh, how the worm turns. That's really terrible. Uh, am I the only one that grinds their teeth in the night because DC stopped that DC ser- Sa- Doc Savage series without finishing the story off? It only had one part to go by Vishnu's ringlets. Um, yes. <laughs> no, you're not. I've seen other people on the internet be really, really upset about that. But no one actually mentions Vishnu's ringlets, which I... That's true. I, Vishnu's ringlets was the best part of that, and that's what made me laugh instead of answering. But yeah, there are lots and lots of people who are really upset about that. Are DC I'm, refusing... Oh, wait, sorry, I was jumping in. I was you were say, going somewhere else. I was yes. say, I'm not one of those people, and I think I could be wrong. 
I would wonder if DC actually still has the license. I I would think that they do, although I could be wrong, uh, unless it unless it reverts after a certain period of non-publication. But um, you know, it's a shame. But someday we'll talk about. You know, I was the biggest Doc Savage fan in the world growing up, but the DC First Wave stuff, and and even people were saying that the Doc Savage stuff was actually picking up its own kind of unique kind of. It, it had gotten good essentially, and I just I couldn't make myself go there. So I'm a bad person. Uh, RDC refusing to fulfill their promise to publish Howard Victor Chaikin's Blackhawk and C.C. Beck's Monster Society of Evil in collected format because they hate me in particular? No. Uh, I know in the at least in the latter case with the Monster Society of Evil, it's because they hate me specifically. But, um, you know, maybe Blackhawk. I don't know. So can I legally force them to make good on their solicitations? No. How dead and poor would I be at the end of legal proceedings? Very. Oh, on a scale of very to totally. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I screwed that scale up. Totally. So, um, why don't you read the, I, the last I, ha- I have the strangest feeling that there is some weird reason why Monster Society of Evil hasn't been released. And I want to say that I read it somewhere recently and I can't remember if it's life with me. But it's, it's yeah. not just there being dicks. Like, there's something really weird. Yeah keeping it for publication i just kind of remember what it is i i want to say that there were competing publication rights but maybe i'm wrong on that there uh, there, there is a reason though I, I can't remember what it is but there's it's more than just they're fucking with you john although blackhawk i think that's very possible they're just fucking with you. i'm fascinated by the lack of blackhawk that is kind of surprising um yes i i also wonder uh if it's a, a cost benefit analysis thing like maybe they looked at how other chicken uh, stuff is sold and they're like yep i mean I so. to see them cancel the second right thomas infinity incorporated hardcover i think yes. shows how much they're like we're not going for the we're not going for timelessness anymore we don't care about keeping material in print we're just doing what sells well like it's the change so. for Mar- for dc well, which is interesting, because in a way, I could see with the new 52 and all, that a Blackhawk trade by Chaikin would actually do well. Like, it's kind of... I could see where the Infinity Incorporated stuff would be very, very confusing when you're trying to change the narrative of the Justice Society in the new 52. I, I think a Blackhawk series trade would have done well if they'd released it when Blackhawks was being t- published as a title. I think mm-hmm. now that that has been cancelled... Yes, I I think yeah, I think any Blackhawk collection is is out the window until something terrible happens to her or Chicken. So speaking of Chicken, let me ask you something very quickly, Graham. Uh, <clears throat> as you probably know, Comicsology, uh, well, Dynamite, I believe, via Comicsology, has the first twelve issues of Chicken's American Flag in a collected format for yes. twelve ninety nine. Yes. As someone who never got into American Flag, should I buy it? Do you think that is the uh, I'm not going to get a better deal sort of price point or anything? I would say yes. They definitely mm-hmm. put out two paper collections uh, a mm-hmm. couple of years ago, which I'm now going to look at because there's one point where the it goes significantly downhill, but before that, it's completely spectacular. And I'm mm-hmm. going to see which issue it is because I, th- I want to say it's after issue 12. I, I, I would think so up, as well. Issue 12 is spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um... Let's see. Does it even tell you which issues are where in this? Hmm. Hmm. Indeed. Just talk amongst yourselves, everyone. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, it, it, yeah, it's issues one to twelve are is the really great stuff. So yeah. Right. Yes. Get that. It, you will like it, and everyone else too. Uh, it 
it's really, really good. It holds up much better than it has any right to. Um, and Interesting. I, I, it's Chaykin's best stuff as far as I'm concerned. And it still seems contemporary. Which is kind of amazing when you think yes. about it. Yes. Actually, it makes you feel that modern day superhero comics are completely not even trying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's 30 years old, so, you know. Amazing. Uh, is Brian I Like Ike Hibbs' favorite comic, Jack Kirby's Captain American Bicentennial Battles? Uh, this is great. I think this is based on Brian's re- breathless recounting of his trip to Washington, D.C. with Ben. I'm going to go on a limb, though, and guess no. Is Jack Kirby's Captain America's Bicentennial Battles? I feel like I should be saying that loud. Is Jack Kirby's Captain America's Bicentennial Battles? Everybody's favorite comic? If not, how can we make this beautiful dream a magnificent reality? Well, it's definitely one of mine. I, I it's it's probably my favorite Captain America comic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, it's it's up there. It's hard because, of course, like Engelhart's Captain America run is like on such a sh- sacred shrine for me because you know I was reading them as they were coming out, and they hold up pretty well, as you know. So. Uh, but it is close. It has so many fucking awesome things about it and really is kind of a, for what seems like an amazingly schmaltzy kind of comic, I think has a relatively clear-eyed view of, of what it means to be, I don't know, patriotic, I suppose. It, I was I was surprised rereading it a few months ago that I was like, I, I'm still touched by this. So... Um, did I miss the deadline for questions? I did, deny. Oh, John. <laughs> hey, John, even if you did, we're still answering more than a month later. It's so just, June. <laughs> think about like that. Yeah, because these were in April, Jeff. These are in April. I know. I'm sorry. If if we had recorded last week, I know you wanted to plow through it. But really, it just wouldn't And I still want to plow through it. And we're going to plow. Dan Coyle. Yes. Yes. He's answering questions, Dan. I'm sorry, if you're answering other people's questions, I'm not going to read your question. Yes. Uh, Cag then says that he read Sonic Disruptors. Really? Honestly? Um, hey, look, lots of people are just not asking questions anymore. I know, it's great. Other people's yeah. questions. That's mm-hmm. spectacular. A.L. Barroso said, not much related, guys, but your opinions on the new Mad Men season so far? Granted, Ooh. it's not even quite at the halfway mark, but it might be too early to ask. But any thoughts? Don't say anything. I've only seen one episode. I have 10 episodes on DVR, and I fucking had last week's episode spoiled by me spot for me by a headline on a website yesterday yeah i yeah. was I, beyond angry about that yes. put the spoilers in articles fine don't put the spoiler in the fucking headline i know i know That's i really i had the same thing i've not watched a single episode of mad men this season i'm dying to do so legally and legitimately i should add uh and uh, and it it's kind of killing me and the thing that's interesting i will say about mad men and then we'll move on that show people love to talk about that show like i think for the most part everyone's pretty good about um masking you know being able to talk about mad men in a in a coded and encapsulated way but i have not as somebody who's seen every episode of mad men as you know after the fact it has never failed that some media outlet people on twitter just somebody crazy running naked down the street yelling things will reveal some relatively big spoiler uh, yeah it's 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 astounding yeah Uh, people love to be people love to make sure that you know what they think about mad men and don't care if they are going to tell you what happened it's astounding more than any show i mean game of thrones Mm -hmm. came close and 
which mm-hmm. is fine for me because I don't watch Game of Thrones. Right. But yeah, Mad Men people are really like, hey, did you hear blah, blah, blah? And you're like, seriously? It aired 20 minutes ago. <laughs> My favorite thing was someone spotted it last week on Twitter. Mm. And they were like, well, what are you doing on Twitter after the show's been on if you're not watching it? And I found that hilarious. It was like, well, I happen to be on Twitter because I was on my computer and I just haven't watched a television episode yet. That doesn't make me wrong. (laughs) The idea that you're like, well, I can't be held accountable for you happening to look on a social media website and not having seen a TV show. That's not my fault. It was kind of astounding. Yeah, I'll defend shit talking. I can't defend that, though. I just can't. So... Uh, Dave, Dave Clark. Clark. We're we're gonna finish it this week, Jeff. There's only yes. 40, 45 comments. We're on question forty. Go and thank you, everyone. By the way, who answered other people's questions in the middle, so we actually got to get questions. Yes, well, go, just, that's one of the things I appreciate about we're, uh, we're gonna speed our, through our comments board. Yes, you're going to try and speed through it. I'm going to mention that Dave Clark uh, is, I believe, the same Dave Clark who draws uh, Cynthia Biscuit, which we left out of our list of superlative mini comics. Isn't he? I don't know. That's awesome. Is he? Well, hold on. Let me click through and check. <laughs> and now it's connecting. It's like, yes, let old man Simpson answer some questions here. Uh, but first off, I want to say Abraham Lincoln was our sexiest gay president. Wait, hold on. Let me look that up. See on the internet. Uh, Dave Clark. Comics pages. Comics. Like well, draws Comics. Uh, the Steelbird mini comic. Maybe he's not. Maybe I've got Dave Clark confused with um, who draws Cindy and Biscuit. Son of a bitch! Hold on, I'm looking on my. Gmail. Isn't it? Cindy Biscuit's something else entirely, isn't it? Isn't that one of the mindless ones who's not Dave Clark? Uh, I I thought it was the mindless one who was Dave Clark. Oh no, so sorry, Dan uh, White. Dan White. Dan White does Cindy and Biscuit. It is wonderful. Dave Clark had nothing to do with it, but is asking an awesome question, which is, are there any collections of old material that Jeff sort of wishes he picked up before his Marvel boycott? Yes. Uh, some of which just got announced. I found out that the Essential Warlock just got announced. I, in fact, I was reading it in your your latest newsletter, Graham, for Comics Experience, and oh, that makes me sad. Yeah. Um, there's also... Uh, God, I know that there's there's a few others. I've actually been pretty on top of one of the things that I ended up doing was getting all those Marvel DVDs and those help. But, you know, honestly, stuff like Micronauts and ROM Space Knight and a few other things that have never been collected, I would really like to get. Um, I think someone online... Uh, oh, gosh. Shit. I'm going to screw this up. Um, let me come back to that part. Uh, <clears throat> yes, there are some books, not as many as you'd think. Thank God. I've recently dropped... Big two books, and the things I regret picking up are Flex Mentalo, the upcoming Gene Ha Action Comics, Rest of the Invisibles, upcoming Punk Rock Jesus, and Miller's Daredevil. Oddly DC-focused. Uh, I I feel your pain, Dave. As other people have pointed out, um, in some cases, if you buy them from secondary markets, uh, used bookstores or on eBay, uh, in theory, the money goes to does not directly uh, enhance the coffers of the company. Uh, I am also, I want to say, Miller's Daredevil confuses me. If it's the, if you mean Mike Allred's Daredevil, that's Marvel. If you mean the artist's edition Miller's Daredevil, that is actually IDW. 
Ah, interesting. So yes, I mean, although so I there's a loophole. There's going to be yeah, there is a loophole. Dave, Dave, some of that loophole. money, yeah, some of that money will probably be going back to. But mm-hmm. I, who knows? And you can't worry. You know, uh, you'll <laughs> love will find a way. Is I think my answer. F- favorite non big two superhero books of all time and currently. Oh, Graham? oh God! Favorite non big two superhero books. Now is I, that? I, I can tell you right now, my favorite non-two superhero book currently. I am not actually reading a non-two superhero book currently, so that's really easy for me. Okay, so we're he's asking about a superhero book not published by the big two, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay, and I will, and I'm going to spread that to include their subsidiaries such as Vertigo, so I can't turn around and say like the Enigma or something like that. Um. Um, but, I know but, there's one, know. and I'm kind of blocking on it. It's funny. I might. I actually immediately went to Badger. Oh yeah, <laughs> as <laughs> as you do, Graham. God help us, as you do. Uh, yeah, some people dig Badger. I, you know, I'm shit. Why am I drawing a blank on this? I think because I keep thinking of things and throwing them away. Like Alan Moore's 1963. Uh, I quite liked. You know. Um, I don't know if that counts as like a, well, let's see, of all time and currently. Am I, I think Paul Gritz Mudman might be the only non-big two superhero book that I'm actually reading that's like superhero. Like the other stuff falls into things like Walking Dead and what have you. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, you know, I could think of lots of books that I love, but super yeah, exactly. not so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that is kind of tough. Uh, Crying Freeman. You know, <laughs> which is basically sexy Batman. Um, you know, uh, a lot of manga. You know, there's manga that is kind of superhero comics and all but name only, uh, like One Piece, which is like the world's goofiest. It's amazing how much that book resembles Plastic Man, unsurprisingly. Just in oh, terms of just the favorite, sheer level of favorite yes. non big two superhero book of all time, Grant Morrison's Zenith. Ah, there we go. Right, of course, which I still haven't read. Um. Yeah. So. Uh, quit, quit after the third volume, Jeff. That's all I'm saying. Quit after the third volume. <laughs> really? Okay. Well, the fourth volume is fine, but it really peaks with third volume dramatically, mm-hmm. and then you're like, "Oh, fourth volume is a you know, it's a nice afterthought." But, right. Uh, and it's worth pointing out that the first three volumes were all collected by Titans. So you could probably, if you're willing to pay a fortune, get them on eBay or something. I, I hate to say it, but I'm really I'm kicking myself. I came across them on the wall of a um, Barcelona comic book store in English, and they were priced. This was actually this was so far back. This was before we uh, had switched to the euro. Europe had switched to the euro, mm-hmm. so they were kind of expensive. But they were with the exchange rate and everything in it. I was kind of like. Oh, I don't know. It's like close to $25, $30 a volume. That almost seems worth it. And I'm, I'm kind of bummed I didn't get it in a way. So. You should have. The third volume is Grant Morrison taking the piss out of Crisis and Open Earths. <laughs> um, and it's just great. And also, at the point, it's genuinely scary. And Steve Hubel's art in it is still possibly my favorite comic art ever. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so there there is stuff out there. I read thirty issues of Invincible. Thought it was okay. It was I, I, yeah, I read a lot of Invincible because I got it from in the big collection. So I probably yeah. read like fifty, sixty. Yeah, uh, it's fine. But the thing about Invincible was it's fine because I wasn't paying for it. 
and I was reading it in a chunk. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can't imagine reading it as a monthly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sort of the same way. So, but it was okay. Um, Occam's Razor asks, if Fringe sticks the landing in the final season, or at least completely doesn't fuck it up, will it be remembered as the best of the three major sci-fi mythology shows of the last 10 years, Fringe, Battlestar Galactica, and Lost? Question mark. Probably not. Because mm-hmm. uh, I don't think that many people really watch Fringe, and it's definitely not got the same cult rating as, as BSG and Lost. That said, I think it, I think if it doesn't fuck it up, it definitely will be. I think Fringe mm. has been far more consistently entertaining than the other two shows. Right. So, yes. Uh, yes, yeah, so Occam's Razor, the, the reason that you suggest that too few people watch it uh, and it's not in the zeitgeist, Graham has confirmed that. That is, that is now law. Um... One more thing I wanted to throw in. This is Cass. Is Jeff still reading Detective? I really enjoyed his summary of the first summary arc and would love to hear more. Oh, man. You didn't see Detective Comics the other day, did you? No, I didn't. Comics number 10? Is it it number 10? It must be number 10. Oh, my God, Graham. It is awesome. A bunch of guys dress up as Batman uh, and rob things. So, like, the first page is... Oh, the second page is for Batman... The four guys dressed as Batman holding guns, stepping out of uh, the rubble of a, of a van they just blew up. And it basically proceeds. This is Tony Daniel is writing it. Ed Benz is. I was going to say, Ed, Ed, Ed Benz was coming on, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. He is coming on, and, and it has him, it has Batman jumping around and beating up other guys dressed as Batman in a sewer. And the thing that I love about this, apart from my weird secret theory that. Everyone basically is convinced, like, every member of the DC, you know, Batman universe currently has decided that they are going to tell Batman R.I.P. and their own way and better. You know what I mean? Um, to, to, to diminishing returns, needless to say. I love that, that not only does this look like the classic Morrison's, like, the, the three ghosts of Batman title, but is infinitely dumber and sillier because uh, these guys have like rip cords and, th- on their chest and like talking dolls and when they pull them they explode so they keep what? jumping on back <laughs> yes yeah so that's what I'm saying like for whatever reason it's not just that they're Batman car thieves in the sewer they're also suicide bombers with like these weird pull string things it's so hilariously devoid of common sense or really any interaction with things that you could recognize as reality that I thought it was a delight I ended oh, up buying God. it it, it was not that's... yeah yeah it's I I, sh- I just want to mention I don't mean to cut you off that I also picked up the first two issues of Epic Kill from Image which looked very good and was impressive for being having something absolutely mind jaw-droppingly stupid on every page like two issues 20 40 pages of comics or something something dumb on every page it really was it Wait, was in a it, good way uh, it depends on what you call a good way. I think you would find it kind of terrible, but it's really as if, if you could imagine a comic book that really captures what it's like to sit there like way too stoned on a couch while your roommate plays the first Max Payne video game, this is it. Like you just can't help but pick apart how dumb all of it. It really is this guy who wrote it and drew it 
honestly, he just was like, I am telling this amazing story that is basically the Bourne identity. If the Bourne identity was like a hot, you know, if Bourne was a hot chick and was being hunted by the black president of the United States because she knew something, something, something deer head explosion. It's great. It's really, it's so bad. I felt so bad for spending money on it because it really is. It's, it's stultifyingly stupid comics. I, I, I probably gave myself brain damage reading it. <laughs> and that's the Jeff Lester seal of approval. Over <laughs> it is. Guess what, Jeff? This is the last question in this. <gasps> no way. I almost don't Seriously. want to answer it. Okay. Rick Vaughn says, I thought of another question listening to the last show. There was an anecdote I heard about Worlds of Warcraft that if you go online to talk about the game, all you will find is piss and vitriol of the masses discussing the game online. You tend to forget that for the percentage of people who are online complaining, there are multiples of those people just enjoying the game and not discussing it online. To what extent is the comics internet still that vocal minority? I would say... uh... Absolutely. I mean, I don't know. It's a really good question. A, a year ago, I would have said, yes, that is the comics internet. They are the vocal minority that has absolutely no sway, no hold, uh, on, and in no way reflects the taste of the vast majority of comic buyers. I'm not entirely sure if that's true anymore. I don't know why. What do you think, Graham? Uh, I, I am still with the past, Jeff. I still... I still think there is a, such a massive disconnect, um, which is not helped by the fact that the comics internet, of which, let us not forget, we are two active participants, um, have such a sense of self-importance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that that you kind of forget that. Or not even forget, that you don't care, that you, mm-hmm. you give yourself more importance because you are being loud. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you've just got to look at the sales figures. Mm-hmm. Books that mm-hmm. will... I mean, Jeff, uh, not Jeff Jones. Jeff Loeb still has not only a career, but an incredibly successful career. Yeah, actually, this is the thing that, and this is why I would have agreed with you more a year ago. Like, apart from the fact that some of these before Watchmen books aren't moving, I've the fact from the fact that sales of a lot of books are dropping, the fact that that guys like Bendis and Believe can't move a title just based on their name alone makes me feel that um that that maybe other people seem to have just generally wised up you know um which is a horrible self-important way to to put it <laughs> uh, it's, i just it's it's getting close to your well, yeah. side, but they just haven't realized it yet yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> in terms of just yeah. way of looking at the world is the only way of looking at the world <laughs> That's right, man. Jeff Lister is. That's my. That's the poster that I've got flying in my living room. So uh, I don't know. I totally, what a Jeff Lister is poster. <laughs> With the photograph from your Skype thing, which which no oh, one has weird. seen, but you and I have seen, and it is Jeff with his headphones. Actually, is it still that? Or have you replaced it with yes. the photograph of the microphone? Oh, it is. It's I, still you no, no, with it's no. It's still you with your headphones, giving a really enthusiastic thumbs up to the camera. <laughs> can you stick that on Savage Critic for the next podcast so people can see it? I will have to see. I'll have to see. I hopefully I can. Because um, if not, I'll have to recreate it, which would be impossible. But yeah, I will try and put that on there so that people can see. And yeah, then hopefully we'll be lucky. Adam Nave will write to our rescue and Photoshop that. So um, 
Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I, yes. Wising up was the phrase that I realized was completely wrong. But um, let's just say that I worry in a way that the market is shrinking. That if only because the market is shrinking, it means that the comics internet is growing, if you know what I'm saying. I, okay. I, I think I would, I'm tempted to say that's coincidence more than mm-hmm. like an that than what you're describing, but mm-hmm. we'll see. We, we will see if that's case. I'm, I think to see, I think you're going to get tests of that, not mm-hmm. just for Watchmen. Uh, I think uh, when Jeff Loeb goes back to Wolverine, it'll be really interesting to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think whatever happens post AVX is going to be really interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Because let's face it, no matter what Marvel do post AVX, people will tear it shit online. Mm-hmm. They they can come up with the world's greatest comic, hmm. and there will be a vocal majority, a vocal minority rather, telling them that they suck. Hmm. I don't know if that's uh, okay. I I don't think that that is necessarily true. Oh, hold on. I've oh, sent you your picture. I've sent you your picture, Jeff. Oh, that is fantastic. I had no idea what was happening. Okay. I don't even know how to access it. But did you take a, did you take a screenshot of the... Yes, um, yes, I did. That is too funny. Okay. Well, I will make it a point to save that if I can figure out how. Yes. Apparently, it was still talking and recording, so that's a good sign. You didn't disconnect us. Um, wow. We all, Oh, God. This is so sad. We've only been talking for an hour and 45 minutes because, of course, thanks to the, the Skype shenanigans, it really should have been a full two hours by now. But Yeah, it's kind of sad. Although I, we should actually wrap things up because you and I have things to talk about in private regarding the future of Wait What, listeners. What? Should we should we talk about the the thing shall now, we talk about or the, should we miss it the first time? No, no uh, we should actually talk about the awesome thing, which is we yes. got an email this weekend that I don't – I mean, I definitely – did not expect and also did not quite believe at first um <laughs> this podcast has been nominated for the parsec award mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. parsec award is a series of awards about speculative fiction related podcasts that's right um and we've been nominated in a general category type yes quite quite what that uh, means i'm not sure <laughs> i think i think we're actually t- i think we've been nominated in the best is it the best fact behind the fiction podcast we've been nominated in? Yeah, it's 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 a it's basically an well okay, if I understand things correctly, we can try and shoot for two awards. Most people choose to have the um best sort of like yeah, like but new podcast best new podcaster team. So that is one category that we can enter. But we've also been nominated in the general category of fan news. And I think we have to choose. I think we will probably end up choosing to go under best speculative fiction, fan or news podcast general, since we don't talk about supernatural or something like that. I suppose we could shoot for specific if comics are specific. That's why I'm basically baffled. So here's the thing, though. Whoever nominated us, thank you very much. I to to be non snarky for a second i was remarkably flattered and humbled when i got this email i could not get over the fact that someone had actually nominated us for this yeah i was the same way i was the same way and the great part is because i saw this email uh basically the day before graham i had exactly the same reaction that he did which is 
this is some way that somebody's trying to scam me to get vital information from me. Uh, and then did the research and was like, oh, no, this is a genuine award. And somebody actually nominated us for it. And uh, we, are we don't know. The other thing is we don't know who it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anonymous person out there or people for all I know. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, yes. It really does mean a lot. The one thing that made me feel slightly better about the whole thing, because you know me, I I detest success in any form, uh, is looking to see that there's roughly seven million other podcasts nominated. That is true. That is true. So, like so our we category, have no, we have no chance of winning. Yeah, we've got no chance. <laughs> absolutely no chance of winning. However, yeah. I, thank you very much for nominating us. I, it's yeah, I I was really floored by it. Yes. Now, that being said, also, everyone, if you're still listening, <laughs> we'll wrap this up soon. If you have, we have to submit an excerpt, which is one podcast. We can have it fade in and out. But basically, we need to submit a 10-minute sample of our podcast. If you know an episode that you think is especially wait what licious that um, will knock people on their butts, please let us know because we have no idea. I, or we're going to talk about it now, but I'm willing to guess that we have no idea what we talk about. Oh, no. I, yeah, I'm entirely with you. I, I have no idea as well. But yeah, yeah. I, I anyone who has a great idea about the 10 minutes that would encapsulate what is good about this podcast, bear in mind that the reason Jeff and I are going to have such problems with this is we have both of such low opinions of ourselves and this podcast, even though we have high opinions of each other, that we will yes. not be able to come to a conclusion about this at all. Uh, yeah, if you can think of, of what is a particular discussion we've had that you really appreciated or that you think would make people think that we're worth giving an award to. Yeah. I, I, I just, it's such a, I don't know what that's about face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then please let us know. Uh, either tweet us. Uh, mm-hmm. I am at Graham M. Jeff yes. is at Lazy Bastid. Yes, B A S T I D, or drop us an email at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. An episode uh, with a couple of good little you know bits in it that you think would make a good it's unfortunately it has to just be one episode um that we can sort of crossfade in and out of i think we get only two or three times or something it's very it's impressively specific apparently there are people who have tried to rig these awards and they've gone to great lengths to like coming with like the world's greatest episode and just cutting and facing all the good bits yeah yeah (laughs) that that was an hour of solid awesomeness (laughs) from 72 from podcasts that we saw together. Um, anyway, exactly. yes, uh, Jeff, I'm going to be talking about that right now. Here's the thing. If we win, A, that's extremely unlikely, and B, we will be going to, where is it? Phoenix? Y- uh, yes. No. Is it Dragon Con? I thought it was Dragon it's, Con. It's, it's Dragon Con. Where's Dragon Con? Um, maybe that is Phoenix. I thought that Dragon Con was in the south in Atlanta. but It is. Not. Yeah, no, I think you're entirely right. Okay. Entirely yeah. right. Even yes, it is Atlanta. Just looked it up. Did you say it was entirely rife? <laughs> <laughs> I did say rife. I'm Ben Wright. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be in Atlanta, Georgia, on August 31st to through September 3rd. Yeah. Um, so, so if somehow we are not knocked out of the running, I don't know. Are we going to have to go? I don't know. I don't, I don't know think how they, it works out. I don't. I don't either. I don't think they actually will pay for us to go, but because they oh, say something at the end, like we hope you'll show up, you know. 
Yeah. I don't know. We'll, 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 have, to, we'll have to see for that. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so we're going to go talk about that and other absurd things uh, now. So, everybody, thanks for your patience. Sorry there wasn't a podcast last week. Uh, we hope to But be you were horrifically sick. Seriously. I was, I was miserable. It really would have been... Uh, I would have had some comically great opinions. I just wouldn't have been able to express them without literally moaning. And I just... I, it's not a good... Or um, is it? <laughs> are, are you going to play us out, keyboard cat? Or are you going to? Bye. Yay! Perfect. Okay. <laughs> All I want. <laughs> <laughs>